You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Okay, so so basically uh, my personal background, I'm an expert in optical communications, that's Dan Sadot. He's a professor in the ECE department of Ben-Gurion University. The research we're discussing today is titled Photonic Layer Encryption and Steganography over IMDD Communication System. The way it sounds is really an interdisciplinary discipline. It is uh, combining classical communications like uh, communication theory and uh, optics, which is uh, basically around lasers, fiber optics, and so on. These two disciplines are basically now taking a lead in the, I'd say, all modern high-speed communications. Like anything uh, running at high speed, say above uh, 10 gigabit per second, 100 gig, 400 gig, just name it. So these are all running over optical fibers. The thing is that uh, all the encryption and security that is uh, taken care of today is being done on the bits level, on the digital level. And uh, we came out with the idea that why not to uh, take advantage of the fact that anyway, the physical layer, uh, which carries the information, it can also help here in terms of uh, encryption, steganography, and stuff like that. So that's the, the background for that. Well, so let's dig in a little bit more um, for some understanding here. So, I mean, can you give us a, a little bit of background when we're sending signals optically 
Um, what exactly is going on? Is this inherently a, an analog process, or, or how does it work from a from a high level point of view? Okay, so so basically, uh, in any communication system, there is the transmit side and receive side. Where in the transmit side, uh, you begin with any kind of an application could be either a human voice all the way to uh, uh, mega files. Uh, but eventually, it turns out to be a digital uh, stream of information. Uh, and this stream of information should be carried over some kind of uh, physical uh, media. So it could be either wireline or wireless, like uh, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or so on. The major difference while uh, moving to optical communications is that you take the same basic stream of data, which is, again, this uh, bit stream of bits, and you just put it on top of an optical carrier. The optical carrier is basically uh, an optical wave. It could be represented as a, as a color, or as a laser beam, or as any uh, sort of light that goes into an optical fiber. And so the advantages of, of uh, an optical system is that it's capable of carrying much more information than, say, over copper? Yeah, but basically there are two, uh, I would say, large-scale advantages. One is that uh, the bandwidth of the optical uh, technology is uh, roughly, uh, I would say, two to three orders of magnitude wider. So hmm. anything in, uh, beyond like 10 gigabit per second hardly can be carried on uh, non-optically. But if you do it optically, so you can go all the way to hundreds of gigabit per second uh, per today, it's uh, fully commercial. So that's one great advantage. The other uh, I would say not less important advantage is the fact that once the light is being manipulated into an optical fiber, it goes in and cannot uh, run away out of that. So in terms of, uh, I would say, technical term of uh, power consumption and signal-to-noise ratio and stuff like that, the, the signal is being kept in a relatively high power or attenuated, uh, I would say, very, very little as compared to... A, generation in, uh, in other media, like in uh, wireline or wireless or whatever. So I would say every 100 kilometers, you can keep the optical signal without any handling, uh, as opposed to, I would say, a few meters or maybe a few centimeters, depending on the, on the bit rate for other type of media. So these are the great uh, two advantages. Well, so let's dig into the specific uh, techniques that you all have developed here. Take us through what you're doing. Okay, so, so basically once, uh, I mean, we have in mind the fact that we are going to take the stream of data uh, and turn it from electrons to photons, uh, so to speak, we can take the highest level of existing encryption as is and just add on top of it a new level. And this new level basically boils down to two main new concepts. Uh, one is that uh, in order to transmit the information, as already mentioned, you take the, the stream of bits over an optical carrier. Why not to do it over many carriers, namely many colors? So you take the stream of data and you break it to, I would say, instead of a single wavelength or a single color, to 1,000 wavelengths. Now... Yeah. What is the benefit of that? You can now attenuate each of those colors by 1,000. So eventually, you take 1,000 pieces, each of them becomes now very, very weak, 
and you transmit all those uh, carriers or colors in a very weak manner in the fiber. On top of that, you designed the, the transmission uh, scenario to be that those uh, very weak signals will be even below the background noise. In any uh, existing uh, media, there is some background noise. could be background light or some kind of uh, uh, spontaneous emission coming from uh, other lasers in the network or from other amplifiers, uh, which is very uh, similar to in an analog case uh, on free space where always there is some kind of uh, acoustic noise or light uh, background in any media. So it happens also in optical fiber. So now if you take those uh, two effects together, uh, you can uh, design uh, like a configuration where the signal is effectively below the the noise level. So what happens is that every color is invisible and you're transmitting uh, instantaneously like 1,000 of those colors, but you cannot see any of them. So this is what configures this kind of stealthy transmission scheme. So now this is one part of the scheme. So you take the signal, break it to many, many colors, transmit it below the noise level, so it's invisible. Now, uh, of course, uh, it sounds very attractive, but you must make sure that on the other hand, uh, the eligible uh, receiver will be able to reconstruct or rebuild this information. Hmm. So that's the, the other part of the challenge. Well, so so while you are stealthily sending this information below the noise floor, uh, are you simultaneously sending, um, you know, regular information over the fiber that that uh, you know that that's intended to be seen? It could be. I mean, it's not restricted to this, uh, this scenario. I mean, it could be part of a network where there are many other uh, channels running and you're just below the noise, so naturally you'll be also below those other channels and they will not uh, uh, interfere in any way. So I see. That, that, that's one, uh, that's actually uh, even making the stillness stronger because then you see uh, many channels and your stillness channel is not only below those channels but also below the noise, so totally invisible. Right. Uh, but, but there is another challenge on the receive side, you need to rebuild this signal and you need also to make sure that the intruder will not be able to rebuild the signal. Hmm. So I'm going to explain in a moment how you rebuild the signal. But just uh, before that, in order to complete the, the encryption scheme on, on the transmit side, we're doing another, uh, I would say, aggressive manipulation, which is taking every color and adding a kind of a random uh, phase to, to this color. The hmm. random phase is basically changing the situation between the different colors in a way that on the receive side, if you do not uh, remove this kind of uh, phase manipulation, you'll never be able to rebuild the signal again. So mm. that, that's a kind of adding uh, an encryption key on top of the stillness uh, manipulation. And this is, a, this is a physical element of the light itself. Right, right. That's yeah. kind of, we call it a phase mask, which basically is an, uh, an off-the-shelf uh, kind of components. Uh, mm-hmm. may, maybe it's a good point to mention that all our scheme is based on off-the-shelf components, so it, it may be uh, implemented and commercialized with existing technology and existing, uh, I would say, equipment. So it's not requiring any uh, development of uh, new components that are not uh, being 
uh, commercialized yet. Is it useful to to think? I, I'm imagining sort of the way that um, you know polarized sunglasses react to to light. How you can uh, you know b- block out things by the polarization of the light. Is, is it along those sorts of lines? It is a good analogy. Uh, polarization is a different is an additional or a different uh, feature of light. So light mm. has an amplitude. It has uh, it has the the phase and it has also the polarization. So these are independent uh, features of light. Uh, so it's a good uh, example, but it's different. I see. Okay. So so anyway, uh, once we do, uh, done those two steps, like uh, spreading the the light and hiding it below the noise, that's the first step. And then adding deliberately kind of uh, what is supposed to seem random, but it is not random. It's a deterministic uh, phase manipulation. So then, on the other hand, we need to kind of cancel those uh, actions. That's the rebuilding of the signal by the eligible uh, receiver. So I'll try to explain what's going on there on the receive side. Yeah, so, please. So on the receive side, only being seen at this point is just noise because uh, the signal is below the noise and it's just uh, hidden there. But if the eligible receiver knows that it's supposed to receive uh, some useful information, so he will apply the opposite of the phase mask that was applied on the transmit side, basically removing all those uh, random phase uh, manipulations that have been applied to any of the, uh, each of those colors. So that's the mm. first step. Once done, so now uh, there is the eligible receiver has the, the chance, so to speak, to rebuild the signal. And the way he, rebuilds the, he may rebuild the signal is by collecting all those, I would say, thousands of uh, independent colors and adding them together in what is called in, in optics a coherent addition. So hmm. the coherent addition is basically taking all the ingredients of lights in this special coherent way that they will add coherently, and then the original strong signal will be rebuilt on top of the noise. So again, just to emphasize, this cannot be done if uh, the phase mask effect was not removed because then this coherence feature will be lost. Now, in terms of, of informing the receiver as to what's going on with the phase mask, in other words, letting them know the information they need to to do this decoding, um, is that information being sent on a, on a side channel? Is that under under separate cover? Or is that is that included in in the main signal? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically, you can look at the phase mask in both sides as the, the key of the encryption. So mm. once you uh, follow this kind of uh, paradigm, so basically you can follow all the existing uh, protocols or how to exchange keys between the eligible transmitter and receivers. We have no additional invention here. We're just following well-known protocols how to distribute the, the key between the eligible users. Okay, another point, uh, I'll say probably the most important one that I didn't emphasize yet is the fact that uh, this kind of rebuilding, optical rebuilding of the signal is being done uh, on the optical domain and all this kind of uh, destruction and reconstruction of the signal is all optical. And why is it so important? Uh, Because what happens usually is that... uh, once a signal is being encrypted and trying to be decoded by an intruder, so what is happening is the signal is being recorded 
And then you can try to break the code offline, so to speak, by, by using uh, high-power computers, or uh, in a few years there will be uh, uh, optical quantum computers and so on. So, mm -hmm. so the fact is that if you rely on the strength of the code, you are in risk, because the stronger the computing power becomes, uh, the higher the chances that uh, your code can be broken. That's uh, right. what's happening today. And that's the concern of uh, all those, uh, I would say, uh, uh, encryption uh, entities. So wh what is happening with our scheme is that uh, recording is uh, off the table. You cannot record the signal. That, that's uh, probably the most important message of this uh, scheme. Uh, and the reason you cannot record it is because the recording is going through an optical to electrical uh, transformation. And this optical to electrical transformation is involving by losing the phase information. So if you did not remove the key, which is the phase mask that I uh, explained uh, earlier about, what will happen is that the phase is being lost once the recording uh, process is happening. And basically, the information is being destroyed. So now there is no uh, meaning by recording the information and trying to break it because it's not there anymore. So that's the mm. great benefit. No high-power computing will help here in this scheme. And the only way to break the code is to do it all optically by trying many, many optical masks and so on. But this is uh, impractical because uh, the, you cannot keep the light like store the light in hand and try to manipulate it with uh, potential uh, many, many uh, phase masks. So once the light is uh, traveling, <laughs> it's being uh, detected and lost. And that's it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in other words, if, if you didn't know to look for the phase manipulation that you're doing here, uh, there would be no reason to even attempt to record it. And so in the recording and, and digitization process, I suppose, that information would be lost. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so you must uh, break the code and uh, decode the information on the fly as opposed to offline. How practical is it to use this, uh, this thing you've developed here? Is it, uh, it going to be relatively easy to apply in the real world? Yes, uh, as I was trying to emphasize earlier, I mean, all the components uh, that we're using in this end-to-end uh, -end, uh, solution are based on uh, existing technologies, mostly off-the-shelf, commercial. Uh, maybe some should be should go through some modifications, but it is like, uh, I would say, adding less than a factor of two on the cost of, of such kind of an existing uh, optical communication system. So that's, uh, uh, I would say, a very uh, good message. As compared, for example, to... I would say more futuristic uh, schemes based on uh, quantum encryption and so on, which will require uh, future development, and uh, they're, they're much more, I would say, futuristic in this in this means. Suppose someone were looking out for this method that you've developed. Would they be able to look at the signal and uh, you know take a look at the noise filter and or the noise floor rather, and, and say to themselves, "Aha! I see. There's some there's some phase manipulation going on here. Uh, this needs a closer look." Uh, no, no. So, so basically, the the good thing is that once you uh, design the the constellation here to be that the signal is significantly below the noise level, and we already have demonstrated like some kind of field trials showing uh, that we are being able to transmit signal at what is called negative SNR, like negative signal to noise ratio, meaning 
signal mm. is uh, maybe 20, 30 times weaker than the, the noise. So it's uh, practically invisible. And once it's invisible, so uh, you don't know what you need to manipulate there. And, and anyway, phase is not something that you can uh, record or try to extract. You, you can record the entire uh, light, but uh, which includes also the phase as part of the features of the light. But you cannot like extract what's going on with the phase, what is the manipulation here, and uh, how can you do the decapsulation of this uh, phase manipulation. It's not possible. I see. Well, one of the challenges, which is not a t- technological challenge, is that usually when you go with uh, like high-speed communication, especially the communication which is very broadly used, say, from, for data center interconnections uh, and for uh, long-haul transmission, all those most popular communication links that uh, consume, say, 90-95% of entire communication worldwide, one of the major challenges is how to change the standards that are uh, around those transmission schemes. This one, obviously, is uh, not part of any standard because usually when you standardize uh, transmission, you want to make it clear, you want to make it visible, you want to make it as simple as possible so any commercial entity can uh, use it. But here it's actually the opposite. Here you're going to transmit something as complicated in terms of observing the signal. In fact, you're going to transmit in a way that is non-observable. So there's kind of, I would say, a mental barrier to convince those entities to transmit. It's kind of a paradigm shift, so to speak. Hmm. It's as opposed to transmitting something that looks high quality and clear and so on. The opposite. You need to transmit something that uh, looks for uh, an unintelligible user, like an, uh, uh, an intruder. It looks like uh, very unclear or <laughs> like noise. It's an opposite concept. Just uh, transmitting noise, it's not something that has uh, uh, been done uh, ever. Yeah. I have to say my, my own uh, perception of this is that there's something kind of, I don't know, delightfully analog about this in, in our digital world. Correct. Uh, yes. The way that this works, yes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Actually, light is an analog uh, entity. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, unless you really go to the photon level, which are, again, becoming like uh, qu- quantum uh, uh, entities. But in general, light is kind of an analog uh, entity. Our thanks to Dan Sadat from Ben-Gurion University for joining us. The research is titled Photonic Layer Encryption and Steganography over IMDD Communication System. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. 
The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.